0: The following is a true story. I had a lady that was in her mid-70s, and I would sold her timeshare, and that was the lowest I'd ever felt in my life. I knew then that I had to do something to simply not to go to hell for selling timeshare. Chuck McDowell founded Wesley Financial Group to help folks cancel their timeshares permanently. Called her and everybody that I would sold timeshare to, and I said, this is what I said to you that was a lie, and this is what you need to do to cancel your timeshare. From that point, people started referring friends to me to help them cancel the timeshare, and that's how it all started. I fought the world's largest timeshare company in federal court. If I had lost that lawsuit, there would be no one helping people that have been lied to when they bought timeshare. If we take you as a client, we will cancel your timeshare, or we'll give your money back. That's what makes us different. Call Wesley Financial Group now for a free information kit. 800-885-4884 That's 800-885-4884. 800-885-4884. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, Grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy.
1: This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Monday, July 13th. It is the early evening in Chicago as we record this. And as we record this, we are a little over a week from... Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm thinking we're going to hear Pat Hughes say Chicago Cubs baseball is on the air. It's going to count. They're going to play a real game uh, next Friday. So that is where we're at, and as we have been doing for these past couple of weeks, we have some scrimmages, some workouts, some other stuff to go over. I, I don't know that there is any exceedingly breaking news for us to discuss. Uh, like last week, we had the Quintana injury that we hadn't discussed yet, but there is plenty of of little information to get in there, and we will break it all down as we are inching towards the regular season beginning in this 60-game sprint. But Brendan, I I think where I want to start here today, uh, usually we like to try to start on a lighter note if we can, uh, especially in the current environment that we are all experiencing. I think this is a good place to start. Will we ever get better content than Anthony Rizzo milling about an empty Wrigley field while he sits out nursing his sore back brendan
2: Corey. he did that not just once he did it twice two days in a row so you know he was enjoying it and there was a few photos unfortunately we have no videos of it but he's waving to jason hayward in right field he's clapping cheering the guys on but he's moving from left field to right field the back of the bleachers the front of the bleachers you can just tell rizzo's like soaking it in just like many of the other guys too just walking around wrigley
1: yeah, and it was—it's one of those things where, like, I would generally say, like, I don't think it's possible for me to love Anthony Rizzo more. And then we get photos of him sitting in the empty bleachers with his hat backwards, his batting gloves on, and his bat in hand. Watching. I love his hair uh, too, by
2: the way. The hair is uh, growing out pretty long. Yes,
1: there. he's got the Looks curls. Good. The curls are back, ladies and gentlemen. And the uh,
2: the headband is a good look for him. He should keep going.
1: Yeah. So that was really, really fun. I mean, it was literally just him sitting there, but just the, the idea of him not being able to partake in the scrimmages. He's since gotten back out there and hopped back yeah. in the cage, uh, though he wasn't in the scrimmage on Sunday. Uh, there obviously is no reason to rush that. So they're just It's a pretty it minor thing too, they said.
2: So, you know, they're being cautious yeah. about it. He
1: deals with this every year and he still yep. plays in the vast majority of the Cubs games throughout the season and uh, certainly better to be dealing with this now and obviously they are afforded the luxury to, you know, take their time. He doesn't need to be yep. out there in those scrimmages. He'll he'll see enough live pitching. He'll be ready to go. Uh, that's why he's Anthony Rizzo. But that was just a lot of fun just to see him uh, doing that and not really something that was expected. And we've heard this from a lot of guys that have taken the opportunity to just sort of relish in being in Wrigley Field. And I think to a lot of us fans – It's something that, it's a sentiment that we've expressed throughout our whole lives and certainly one that isn't surprising. But it's cool to hear, especially players like Rizzo. I I know Jason Hayward was saying stuff like this. We've seen, I know, I think we've mentioned on here before, guys like Ian Miller who haven't been able to be on the field at Wrigley Field and really like take all that in before. It's cool to hear them kind of echo what we all know, which is like, this is a very special place to watch baseball and just a special place to be in general. And like, when you're hearing Rizzo saying that, like, wow, you know, like, I've never seen Wrigley from this angle, or I was really able to just like take it in, which I never really get the opportunity to do. Uh, That's one of those, I guess, silver linings from this very strange coronavirus summer camp experience, uh, stuff like that. And I I think that's, you know, kind of uh, what we have here. But yeah, that was pretty, pretty excellent content uh anthony rizzo out in the bleachers if he had i'm you know i know he wouldn't do this in the middle of a scrimmage but uh, if he had ended up with like a hot dog and a beer like just sitting (laughs) out there like heckling the guys i mean you want to talk about premium content it's right there i mean you know he's heckling the
2: guys though we just hear nothing about it of course Yeah. yeah
1: Of course. Uh, He's he's definitely talking trash uh, to no end to these guys, especially I I feel like Hayward and Schwarber too are probably getting the the most of Anthony's ire out there in in the bleachers. But yeah, that was some good stuff. Uh, Shout out to... MLB.com's Jordan Bastion for a lot of those photos of Rizzo out in the bleachers. I know he was the first one to post uh, one of the photos, and he's been providing some really excellent content. Uh, We have not gotten a lot of content from certain other channels. Uh, You know, you guys can fill in the blank there, which is. Very difficult to explain, but we're, as fans, very grateful for the work that Jordan Bastian has done because he's provided uh, a lot of stuff that it just seems like otherwise we wouldn't get. So uh, I will yeah. leave that there. And let's move into some of these scrimmages. I, I think, uh, well, firstly, actually, before we get to the scrimmage, I, I want to talk about this, Brendan. I, I, I warned you that we were going to do this. This is not something you wanted to do, but we have to talk about Brandon Morrow one last time. Uh, the Cubs yeah. released Brandon Morrow uh, on July 8th. Uh, he was on a minor league deal, and, you know, obviously rehabbing back and, and trying to get out there. And with the lack of the minor league season this year, the, the the roster construction as it is and where Morrow has been in his progress, this was not particularly a surprising move, uh, but it is one that, at least for now, uh, not knowing, you know, how things obviously proceed with the future, what Brandon decides to do in his career, etc., brings to the end a, a chapter that we have covered more extensively than I think a lot of us would have liked, and it's, uh, it's, it's a shame. I mean, I think more than anything, Morrow was lights out when he was on the mound for the Cubs posting a sub to ERA uh, in the innings that he was able to work, and, you know, just looking at some of the gifs and videos from back when he was on the mound, which feels like it was years ago, but it feels like even longer than that. Uh, he was nasty. Brendan. And it's it's a shame, uh, you know, from a baseball standpoint, I think when he did sign that minor league deal, even though it was with a large bit of caution, it was easy to imagine that working out and him being a part of this Cubs bullpen and maybe not being relied upon as the everyday closer or someone that, you know, needed to be putting out every fire the Cubs had. But it was easy to imagine how much stronger that bullpen would be if he were out there. And then just on a personal. Level, you know, this is a guy uh, who was ridden very hard in the 2017 playoffs by Dave Roberts and the Los Angeles Dodgers, and what ultimately was a losing effort uh, in the World Series, their first of two in a row in the World two Series. In a row. But yeah, that I, two. I I digress, you guys. Sorry. <laughs> um, And, you know, never really recovered from that. And, you know, I think just as, you know, everything that we had read and heard and seen from Brandon was that he's, uh, you know, a nice guy and someone who was working very hard. And then we saw, you know, kind of that show of of good faith in signing that minor league deal, talking about how he felt like he, you know, really let down the Cubs and his teammates and himself not being able to live up to that contract and wanted to, uh, you know, put in that work. Uh, on whatever deal he could get to be able to contribute. And that's ultimately not how it's going to work out. So that's how this saga ends, Brendan.
2: Uh, Yeah, you know, you feel bad for the guy. He's, like you said, one that many teammates have liked. I know the beat writers have liked him. He was talking about how COVID and the lockdown ultimately would have been good for him. It just didn't work out. But he's had a series of just unlucky injuries, dude. Like, I mean, we talked about last week him hurting his back when he was taking off his pants. And then he kind of got unfortunate with his pitching elbow injury that same year. I mean, he had what was a, a freak injury similar to the one that you Darvish had, where he had this like bone contusion, but they didn't really find the severity of it until after the season. And so that was kind of a mishap by the Cubs medical staff, which, by the way, was drastically overhauled. But that bone contusion or stress reaction, whatever you want to call it, that required off-season surgery between 2018 and 2019. That delayed him in 2019. And then that same elbow in that April flared up again after that surgery. So he had to get more of a injection, this like synthetic lubricant just to keep things fluid in there. Didn't work. Had another injury that was called a hydro dissection procedure. Don't know what that is. Sounds pretty bad. Had that in August of last year. Then finally, Corey, he gets to 2020, gets to spring training. What happens? First day, hurts his calf. Five days later, comes back. Versus chest. COVID happens. Now we're here. So I mean it is a series of like misfortune for him. And it's it's you have to wonder too, back in 2018, when I believe Madden used him two or three uh, straight days, if the Cubs medical staff caught the severity of that stress reaction early on, just like if they were to caught you Darvish early on, would Morrow ultimately still be a cub, a healthy cub today? You just you just don't know. But it sucks. There's a side of me that even though he's not with the Cubs right now, I do feel in 2021, given the familiarity between the Cubs and Morrow and then vice versa, like I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back on another minor league deal and just tries to make a comeback. Like, that would not surprise me whatsoever. Yeah.
1: So that is where that is. We will no longer be letting you guys know that he threw from 70, 80, or 90 feet, whatever it is. You.
2: I'm telling you, I would not be surprised if he's back next year.
1: You just you just can't quit it. I don't think you want to quit it. Honestly,
2: <laughs> I like him too
1: much. I mean, he's got good stuff. Like hey, he's, he's healthy and he's yeah. making
2: the attempt. Why not? Especially in a minor league deal, I wouldn't mind it.
1: All right. Well, anyway, we'll we'll get to twenty twenty one in twenty twenty one. We're not dealing with that Let's now, uh, but that <laughs> is where we close the chapter on the Brandon Mora era in Chicago. So anyway, moving on to guys that are with this team and are going to be uh, with this team. We had another few scrimmages to discuss, uh, and I think the main takeaway from this, Brendan, is that the pitching has been quite good. You uh, Darvish and Kyle Hendricks have been matched up, as we talked about last time. They went uh, in another scrimmage on July 9th, and they were both very good. Uh, Darvish went three and a third, didn't allow any runs. Uh, on one hit, two strikeouts, five outs via the grounder, that again coming from Jordan Bastion. Uh, Hendricks went into a fourth inning, had allowed no runs on two hits and four strikeouts through three, and then Kyle Schwarber took him deep uh, opposite field to the left field bleachers. Uh, that one noted by Jordan Bastian, uh, again from Cubs.com, that it was near where Rizzo was sitting at one point, and he had just left. I, I, I try yeah, to mistaken. not even let my mind consider what the video want. or picture we would have gotten had Rizzo caught or been anywhere near a home run ball. That just would have been too perfect. I try not to even let myself envision it because we didn't end up getting it. Uh, But those guys have been very good. Uh, You Darvish dealt with a a fingernail thing in there. I I do just want to mention that because there was talk of the trainer coming out there and stuff like that, but it was a fingernail thing, not a concern, Uh, has not been talked about since. So no worries there. And they have been good. Uh, we saw Alec Mills and Tyler Chatwood again uh, on the Sunday, uh, yesterday as we record this, uh, and those guys look good. Um, and I, I think that that's one of those areas where it's really important to keep watching those. These are just scrimmages, and obviously they're facing their own hitters, uh, so it's kind of a good news bad news thing when one of them one, when one side succeeds. Uh, but we've talked about, you know, especially with Quintana being absent, he's supposed to throw, I think, uh, either later this week or, or, you know, sometime next week. That that was the schedule that he was on, and, you know, we've heard no change from that, so, you know, we'll see where he's at and, you know, what he's able to do if and when he's able to really get back out there, but I think that Mills and Chatwood are, are going to be the you know, potential keys. And, and really, in this experience of summer camp, like, I'm not worried about guys like Darvish, yeah. Hendricks, really even Lester. Um, I, you know, I, I'm dialing the focus on Chatwood and Mills. I think you trust these other guys to get themselves ready. You know the stuff that they have. You know what they're capable of. Uh, they They've been in this situation in terms of being anchors of the starting rotation before. So and one thing we've talked about that that we saw, you know, I think Mills allowed uh, a couple runs in his start on July tenth. Chatwood got through the minimum uh, through two innings, but then I think gave up some runs when he came back out there. But the you know these guys have been good, and I don't think they're going to be asked to deliver. A bunch of eight-inning shutout, you know, 120-pitch outings, or something like that. Like, if these guys can give you three, four, five innings, especially at the beginning of this shortened season, I think that's all you're really going to ask. And at least in these scrimmages, we've certainly seen that they're capable of doing that. They're capable of attacking some really good hitters um, and getting some some whiffs, getting some bad swings. And I I I've we, we haven't seen a lot of this, so it's it's hard to really analyze this or diagnose it, but just from what we've read from the beat writers, what we've heard uh, from you know, someone like Ian Hap who's talked about his experience facing some of these guys in summer camp on on the compound podcast. I'm encouraged by what we're seeing from these guys. I think that Mills and Chatwood are ready to rise up to this challenge. Are they going to be perfect? Are we expecting them to be perfect? No, but I I think you can count on them to give you a handful of innings that can move things to the bullpen, however Ross and Haddivy want to proceed. And I think that that'll be good enough, at least to get things going uh, until you kind of have a better handle on how things are going over the course of this 60-game season.
2: Keep all your entertainment options centered with Xfinity X1. Access live TV, Netflix, and now Hulu and Peacock. Ah, streaming zen. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Xfinity X1 gives you the most complete entertainment experience with everything from live TV to your DVR to on-demand favorites and your streaming apps. Just use your voice remote to easily find what you want to watch. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Netflix, Hulu, and Peacock memberships required.
0: It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab a nice cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know what to expect from, you know, Darvish and Hendricks. You just want to see they're healthy and they're throwing within the expected range of velocity. They're feeling good, no injuries, and we're not seeing any of that. And if anything, we're seeing better than what at least I had expected. I mean... Lester went out there and pitched multiple innings, struck out some guys, looked pretty good. Darvish is throwing mid to upper 90s. He's throwing like 12 different pitches now with that new Supreme pitch. Hendricks looks good. But for me, the focus for the pitching has been on those fringe bullpen type guys. And so the two players in the past weekend that really stood out, Corey, were Dwayne Underwood and Casey Sadler. And those two guys in particular stood out because we know what the back end of the bullpen is going to look at for Kimbrell, for Kyle Ryan, for Rowan Wick and Brad Week. We know those are the staples, but there is the potential for someone like Dwayne Underwood or Casey Sadler or Dan Winkler and all these other fringe guys to take on more of a role. So I expect Hendricks, I expect the rotation to you know to, to work out the way they're expected to pitch. But there's going to be a lot of emphasis on those mid to back end bullpen arms because in a 60 game season, you may only have your starters go five innings or so because each win is almost like a playoff type win. Each win is worth two and a half times that what we normally see. So when you see Dwayne Underwood strike out five guys in six batters faced, that's a big deal, especially, Corey, because he's throwing a different curveball. When Dwayne Underwood was drafted by the Cubs and going through the system, especially through 2018, he was known for this huge loopy curveball. That curveball was around 75 miles per hour. What happened last year though? Tommy Hadovis changed his curveball from that 75 mile per hour loopy curveball upwards to 82 miles per hour. He dropped his release point by about Five percent doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but that is a pretty big deal. And now Corey, he's throwing with a release point lower than not only last year, but lower, much lower than that of an average reliever. And this curveball is tighter. There's still the same drastic amount of vertical break, around six inches of vertical uh, break, but it's a little bit tighter. It doesn't have that that sharp horizontal movement. That's what made Rowan Wick who he was last year. It's what made Brad week. who he was last year. These are changes, small changes that seem really like minimal, but they're significant, especially when we're talking about the margin of error being so small. When we're talking about a slight change in spin rate or release point, that could be the difference between a AAA guy and being a guy in the seventh inning or later in the back end. And so when I see Dwayne Underwood do that, I'm, I'm excited, man. I've always been excited about that guy, but I'm feeling good about him.
1: Yeah, and I know I was watching uh, you and Brian Smith from BleacherNation.com kind of discuss this on the Twitter timeline, and one thing that Brian pointed out was what, uh, what I think started some of this conversation was uh, that like you said, Underwood was getting a lot of whiffs and a lot of strikeouts, uh, especially thanks to the breaking ball. And Brian sort of pointed out, like, well, that's noteworthy because last year he threw the curveball 15.2% of the time, uh, and it was his worst pitch by Fangraph's Mm -hmm. run values. So what all of a sudden is getting all these whiffs. Like are the Cubs hitters just that off from this this delay or is something going on? And then we got uh, a really lengthy answer. I won't read all of it because it's uh, too – full like notes pages uh in these pictures on twitter that i'm looking at again get this guys from jordan bastion from mlb.com i'm telling you like okay, uh, he yep. he's been on the podcast before but i don't have any reason to keep bringing his name up it's just that his coverage is really good so uh if you're if you're he's interested best. in brendan and i's beat writer rankings uh, jordan <laughs> is at the top at the moment uh because he's just been great uh and he said that they asked uh about underwood's Curveball and the progress that they've made to Tommy Hotovy and Hotovy spoke for two and a half straight minutes uh, about mm-hmm. it. We're going to talk more about Hotovy and just his overall impact. I think after discussing Underwood specifically, but you know, just to read a little bit of this to give you guys some context, here's what Hotovy said. He's been a guy that's obviously been in our organization for a long time, a guy with a pedigree, a guy that has been a prospect with us for a while, and to see him, the evolution of where his curveball is now versus versus where it was like two, three years ago. Obviously, you don't make changes like that unless the pitcher buys in and understands what he's trying to do and trying to accomplish and can learn on the fly. It takes guys time, like you'll see guys that come over like we've had with Rowan Wick and Brad Week and those guys that we kind of altered a grip and all of a sudden it takes off. That's not the case for everybody. And a lot of times you may have the right grip, but mechanically you're just doing a few things that aren't allowing that pitch to really take off. He goes on to say that he really gives credit to Underwood for. Putting in the work, uh, you know, physically over time, and staying with it, especially talking about in the off season and with the coronavirus shutdown, and and still being able to put in that work and get his body and his mechanics in the shape to execute uh, what they have been trying to do with his curveball. And he also went on to talk about, you know, identifying like, okay, this guy is a good fastball. He has a good changeup, and. Sort of point out your strengths, and he says specifically, uh, you know, that he's taken. You know, they identify those strengths, but that he's also taken his major weakness, which was the breaking ball, and turned it into what Hadavi describes as a real weapon at the major league level. Mm. And we've we've talked a lot about. The pitch lab, the pitching development. I know Brendan. Any chance he gets, brings up Tommy Hotovy, Craig Breslow, and the pitching infrastructure that the Cubs have. Um, And this is the type of stuff that you want to see, right? Like, and and I think it's it's good that Hotovy points out that it sometimes takes time because, and and we've discussed this too. And and you know, there's still a lot of work to be done, but. I think when you know the narrative, and again, it's true about the Cubs, is that they have not been good at drafting and developing their own pitching, elevating guys through every level of the minor leagues, and ultimately filling out a rotation or a bullpen staff of your own guys, your own projects. And I like that, that this particular situation is one that we've been able to dial in on and get more information on because... I think just like Hattavi says, you know, sometimes you are going to have guys that come over from other organizations, like Rowan Wick is is a great example, right? And you make a couple changes, all of a sudden, you and I here, Brendan, are talking about how Kimbrell's got the ninth and Rowan Wick has the eighth. Like, he's your second man, right? And we'll get into Kimbrell in a minute, but if that goes a certain way, maybe Rowan Wick is the number one guy in that bullpen, right? And you got there from your pitching infrastructure, the technology, the work that these guys have done to mold some of these guys to get the best out of them. And I think Underwood is an example of it It doesn't always just kind of snap into place like that. It, it's It's something where you can identify what you want to do. You can identify the mechanisms by which you can get there but it's not always something that you can just snap your fingers and all of a sudden this guy's changed his grip or changed his mechanics or built a completely different body structure, right? Like where now he has the lower body strength to really change his delivery or things like that. And so this is going to be a a fascinating thing to watch uh, because, again, like the Cubs loaded up on some of these low-risk uh, high reward type arms. We talked about that the entire offseason. Underwood was already in the system. This is their guy. So you see the work and you hear about the work that they're putting in, and you know maybe this is that time where it really pays off. And I think it's a very fortuitous time for this to be coming together, because as we've seen before, Underwood is someone that can be stretched out to give you a little bit more length, you know, not necessarily a guy that can only throw 15 pitches over the course of one inning. And in a 60-game season, like we keep discussing, you know, Underwood is someone to keep an eye on if you can start getting three, four, five innings out of guys like Mills and Chatwood. Underwood is is a very good candidate if he's able to be consistent and, and this curveball is uh, able to stay as a weapon as it seemed in this scrimmage the other day. He's a guy who could maybe play a, a much bigger role than anybody would have anticipated if he's able to be that guy that can kind of bridge the gap to those high-leverage relievers. Yeah,
2: and there's other guys too besides just Underwood and Casey Sadler. Like, you look at someone— Like Dan Winkler, haven't heard too much about him, but Dan Winkler, he has the spin rate that we all like, but he did not last year have the spin efficiency. This is like, what, the fourth week in a row I've said those words? Spin efficiency is something that the Cubs have tried to maximize, where you take someone with a high spin rate who, for some reason, cannot translate that spin rate to movement, and they're using Hadevi, they're using Craig Breslow, they're using all of these different uh, technological tools to bring out the best in these guys. So let's say you have Dwayne Underwood now with this curveball, and you have Casey Sadler, who last year had an ERA around two and a half and 40 innings with with the Dodgers and part-time with the Dodgers. Now you throw in Dan Winkler into the mix, all of a sudden, his spin rate is now moving the way it should be moving, you have a bullpen, Corey, when you add this up, of seven relatively stable guys absent of any type of extremity. And yeah, that, that it could happen where you have Kimbrell kind of deteriorate, which we may talk about today. But the point being is there are so many possibilities for this bullpen to turn on and be a huge advantage to this team, which we haven't seen in years past. So we have Trevor McGill, we have Ryan Tapera, we have Jarrell Cotton, who may be a starter, maybe Mills will go in the bullpen, we'll see what happens. These are a bunch of guys who, in years past, have been touted for a lot of their track man data, and at one point or another, were actually top prospects. So I'm excited about it. It's it's one of the, the priorities for me this year, is trying to get this bullpen in a projectable sense, because there is a lot of uncertainty, and I get it. I know it's hard to get excited about a bullpen when we're talking about a group of guys who just have never been consistently good. I get that. But this year, even in a 60-game season, They're going to get more opportunities because, as we just discussed, you may have David Ross go to the bullpen the 5th, 6th, and 7th. In doing so, we'll give Casey Sadler, we'll give Ryan Tibera, we'll give Jarrell Khan more of an opportunity. And these are guys who could be back with the Cubs in 2021. We could be going after this season, into 2021, with enormous stability in this bullpen, which we have not seen in a while, Corey, and we have not seen the Cubs take these guys without paying them a lot of money and use that money elsewhere, which they're going to have to do. They've been putting so much money in the bullpen, in the pitching for the past three, four or five years to have Casey Sadler, Ryan Tapera, Jarrell Conner, Dwayne Underwood Jr. step up. That would be huge for their other reasons on the roster to spend money on. So it's it's going to be something that if not is the number one priority, it's got to be at least top two or top three.
1: I really feel like in... Years time, like when we look back at things, I I, I really think we're going to appreciate Tommy Hodovy and yeah. Craig Breslow and and this pitching infrastructure uh, a lot, a lot. Just uh, like plain and simple, like I I think in reading like his answer and the way that he talks through this stuff with Dwayne Underwood's curveball and seeing some of the results that they've gotten and just seeing being able to kind of like step back and see that gradual shift like I remember it was probably not too long ago on this podcast whether it was the off season before the 2019 season or whenever it was where you know you and I talked about how it really felt like the Cubs were behind in certain things right and one of those things was the Cubs have a bullpen and sometimes uh, starters that are sitting in the low 90s, you know, they, they don't feature a, a large pitch mix, and they're not developing a lot of guys that are fitting the mold of what we're seeing across the league right? And when you were looking at the stuff that, you know, and obviously they're a big bunch of loser cheaters, but like the Astros and the stuff that they were doing with velocity and spin rate and just the drastic change in even someone like Justin Verlander when he went over there and Garrett Cole when he went over there and just seeing the emphasis that some of these other teams were putting on spin rate, velocity, stuff like that, it felt like the Cubs were behind. And as you sort of start to see these changes take hold uh, as this staff has has come in in the last few years. You know we're we're starting to get to that point where you're like, I, I think you're looking at this going like uh, these guys really know what they're doing. And and similar to what Hotovy was saying about Underwood's change with the curveball, organizationally, this stuff takes time, and it's not something that you know the minute Tommy Hotovy comes over and and they change the 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 infrastructure. All of a sudden, the Cubs are just churning out these like great pitchers, right? Like it, it takes time, and we're not even at the end here yet. But it it feels like just in seeing the work these guys do, in in hearing Hattie talk about things like this, when we interviewed Burl Caraway a few weeks ago, hearing him talk about how advanced the Cubs staff was how it aligned with the stuff that he had been doing in college and and the stuff that he had worked with and seen uh in the other teams that he had talked to and things like that like it just feels like this group it feels like we're lucky to have this group Brendan and that if if they are allowed to do their thing and they get players like Underwood, like Caraway was talking about, who are willing to buy in and and put in that work to really make those changes, I I think we're going to continue to see some really good results. We've already seen some of them in guys like Kyle Ryan and Rowan Wick. We talk about it all the time, but you know, these are guys that came over from other teams and they were not having the success with other teams. And they come over to the Cubs and like last year, Ryan and Wick were pitching so many high leverage innings for this team. Uh, and I don't think that would have been anybody's expectation. So I, I think it's uh it's just in reading this, especially with Underwood, it was just one of those moments where you're just like, man, I, I feel very, very good that the pitching of this organization is in the hands of Hadovie and his crew. Yeah. I, I know that you do, Brendan. Oh my gosh, yes.
2: I mean we've been waiting <laughs> for this for years, Corey. And this is the way the game is shifting. There is a video of a Yankees prospect. I don't know how old he was. He must have been 19, 20, 21. But it reminded me of how we talked with Caraway and the language and the verbiage they're using to describe how their pitches are moving. So this Yankees prospect, Corey, is talking and I, I'm, I'm using the exact words he used. He's saying my PFXZ was good today. Corey, that is derived straight from a StatCast data set Dude, that is the name of a variable of how your pitch drops. This is the new. This is a new way of baseball. So as much as we love some of the old gritty guys, I, I mean, I don't want to call them like dinosaurs, but they they are going to be out of the league soon. And the next era grew up with these types of tools, with these types of metrics, and we're going to be hearing way more of it. Which means Tommy Hattev too. We're going to be hearing more of what we just heard about with that, you know, two and a half minute response. And it's going to get more technical. This is not just going to stay put, it's going to get way more technical. There's a reason why Craig Breslow is now the main guy. And this is a reason why, you know, Jim Hickey was only with the Cubs for a year. This is a completely new sport in a way. And, you either get on the train or get left behind because this is not going to stop. It's going to keep going and going and going. And I've said this quote so many times, but it's so true and we're living it. But Tom Tango, the godfather of sabermetrics said in like 2002 or 2003, when I first started to get into like all these numbers, he said there will come a point in time where scouts, where players, where coaches, and they will all be speaking the same language. There was such a deviation and a dichotomy between scouts and players for years, Corey, that it almost looked, especially in that Moneyball movie, it looked as if scouts were behind the curve, no pun intended. Now they're talking about the same tools the players are talking about, the same data. This this is modern baseball. We've gotten to that point. This is it. This is what so many people have envisioned would eventually happen, and, and we're seeing it. So, it's, it's fun, I think. At the end of the day, like you can get obsessed about performance and who's going to be good and who's not going to be good. But what this technology does is it creates the possibilities, way more possibilities, for these guys to turn into valuable pitchers. And to that sense, you have to be excited about it. You, you can be a skeptic about it and how this data will be, will be used appropriately, and I can get that. But this data, this type of perspective will yield more opportunities it just will and i think you have to be at least a little curious about how that will work out
1: yeah and i and i think it's just good to have that feeling that the cubs are with the trend they have guys who can help them be at the top of where the game is going and and stay at that level and you know you there's all sorts of examples of this but like one thing that jumps to mind too is like several years ago like not only would the Cubs not have drafted someone like Luke Little the guy who throws uh you know who can hit 105 but you'd have no belief that they could possibly develop someone like that and he's a big project very raw you know they're they're looking at that velo and they're going to have a lot of work to do. But with this group and the way that they're able to do things and what we've seen and heard from them, you like could legitimately believe like yeah they might make that work. I, I if anybody can figure it out, I have confidence in this group. And I just don't think that would have been the case with this organization uh, several years ago. You just they they wouldn't have drafted somebody like that. And there's no way that he would have gotten through the system and been like a, a positive contributor right. to the organization. And again, it's it's a it's that that one's a high risk move uh, that they took in the draft. But you genuinely like I, I think you ha- at least I and I know you do. You have a genuine belief like when you say like get him in the pitch lab with Hodev and Breslow and those guys and let's see what they can do. I think you have a genuine belief that that can be successful and the, and that you trust those guys and are really. Curious to see what they're able to do. So, yeah, that's that's been interesting. And, I, and again, you know, we, we talked about this in the off a lot that the bullpen and that kind of uh, quantity over obvious or past quality, if that makes sense, uh, was a good approach for this team, and it made sense. And that you know you only needed a handful of those guys to really shake out to be able to give you a strong bullpen, and you know that's that's still true even in this sixty-game season. Um, you know, I think obviously you would love to be in a position where you had maybe some some more names or, or guys that you were a hundred percent comfortable with, confident in. Uh, but I think that the the Cubs have the pieces to make it work. You you just have to figure out who are the guys that are going to be able to shoulder the bigger loads and and who are those guys that are going to step up. But I think they have enough people to choose from uh, and the ability to get the looks they want at them to ultimately piece that together. But on that note, uh, a few other things uh, that we want to talk about here. I want to talk about Craig Kimbrell. And I think you and I are on... Slightly different ends of this spectrum, which is rare. Good. Normally, you and I are, are almost always in lockstep on things. Uh, we have a very I similar brain, and I, I don't know if we're at the same place. We might be really at the same place, but I think one of us—and it's not me—is you know maybe deflecting exactly how they feel about these things. Okay. But I'll let you speak for yourself uh, after I speak for you. Then I'll let you speak for yourself. But I just want to know where you're feeling about that. Now, look, I am the captain of its spring training, Relax, right? I say that every year. This is a different form of spring training, and I've already said that multiple times. Like, these are just scrimmages. These are the first couple times these guys are seeing live hitting uh, in a long time, or at least live hitting of this caliber, or live pitching, if you're a hitter. So, no overreacting, no anything, but I just genuinely want to know how we're feeling about Craig Kimberley. Gave up an opposite field bomb to Wilson Contreras in his first outing in these scrimmages and uh, gave up a, let's call it a 395-foot fly ball to dead center uh, that almost took out Albert Almora. He ran into the wall. He ended up being fine and actually batted and drove in a run later in the game, so that's good that Al was not hurt on that play, uh, but I'll let I'll let you go first. Just how are we feeling about Craig Kimbrell? Where, where are you with that? Like, I, I, I
2: get the concern. Trust me, I get the concern. But last year, it was an unorthodox ramp-up period for Kimbrell. And it came towards the tail end of the season with an injury. So he only pitched, Corey, 20 innings. He struck out over 13 guys per game. But he, yeah, he gave up an ERA around 6.5, mostly attributable to the command. But for a pitcher of Kimbrell's caliber, those who have deteriorated in the years past have done so because their stuff has gone down. You look at Kimbrell, what has gone down? Maybe a little bit of that fastball velocity, but not enough to be like, whoa, this, this is concerning. Kimbrell, for the most part, his velocity last year when he was ramping up, was well within his range from 2018 during his ramp-up period. Not only that, but his curveball spin rate was well within range of his ramp-up period in 2018, last year. And it started going up as his season progressed. His curveball spin was going up, 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 just like he did in 2018. And then he got hurt. And then he had to come back again, and it was too late, and the Cubs were already out of it. So I I get the concern thinking that what we saw last year with Kimbrell is the new norm. But I have problems accepting that's the new norm for two reasons. The first reason was he just got signed into a new coaching staff and went on the mound in Wrigley within two weeks. You can't get a sense of familiarity with the catchers, with the pitching coaches, with the coaching staff, and expect that Kimber will be the same exact person as he was with Boston. That's unrealistic. It just is. And then 15 innings later, he hurts himself, comes back, tries to ramp things up, and is not good. I'm not going to blame him for that. I would be concerned, Corey, if his stuff last year was on the complete opposite side of the spectrum and it was clearly going down. But that was not the case. It was not the case whatsoever. And I think the fact that we saw K-9 over 13 suggests that hitters also think his stuff is not going down the tube either. So this year, we're seeing not only Kimbrell get more familiarity with the coaching staff, but the coaching staff, Corey gave him a Rap Soto to train during COVID, during the lockdown. And Kimbrell used that technology to work on a new changeup. He's been principally a fastball, curveball guy. And he's using the Rep to to develop a changeup, but he's, he's probably using that if he's using that for a changeup to refine his curveball, to make sure his fastball is within his expected range. So going into this year, yeah, it will be a shortened season, but the difference between last year and this year's shortened season is that he's been with the Cubs for a year, dude, with a year. He's been with Tadevi for a year. They've been giving him more tools to refine his game. That has to give you some encouragement. I'm not going to freak out of three outings in an intra-squad game in an empty Wrigley field when he's working on a new pitch. I get it. I get the optics look bad, but we got to see what he looks like. I'm not saying, oh, yeah, Kimbrough's going to be great, He's going to be just like he was in 2018, but I can't have the confidence that he'll be good because I can't have the confidence that he'll be bad either. There's, there's nothing to suggest outside of a few weird things that he's going to be bad going forward.
1: Which, again, like I said, is pretty rare, but I guess probably makes for better audio than us just going, yeah, I agree. (laughs) I, so like, just to be clear, like, I am in no way making a, like, he's done or he stinks or, you know, any, like, he's going to go out there and put up a six and a half ERA, right, and be completely useless. Not the argument I'm making. Uh, But where I am in this is I am genuinely concerned about him. For the this twenty twenty season, that that that's where I would put it. And normally, as I stated in when we started this topic, I am very much normally a look like wait until the regular season. I don't really care what a guy's doing in spring training or whatever we're calling this thing at Wrigley Field summer camp. I don't know how they all blend together, but I just am concerned about this. Uh, I. I understand everything that you're saying and I and I, I do think that there's merit to he signed in an unorthodox manner in in the middle of a season in 2019, obviously had a strange schedule that he must have been on. Uh, he was thrust into the middle of a tight division race for the entire time he was with the Cubs in 2019. Like you said, new catchers, new staff, new ballpark. Um, he hadn't been pitching in the national league for several years. Like there, there was a lot of change. There's a lot of variables, a lot of things going on. Um, but what concerns me is again, like I said, not whether he's going to be a complete disaster or not. I don't necessarily think that, but I, I believe that a good part of the Cubs success in 2020 is going to hinge on him being really good. And my confidence is not there. That that's what we're going to get, and the reason that I feel that way. uh, Again, there are many variables. There are many things that I I don't want to call them unfair to him. You know, like I, I don't know if that's the right word, but just not normal variables, not normal things going on for him in 2019. I completely acknowledge that. Um, but what concerns me is that he posted in the 20 innings, 20 and two-thirds innings that he posted for the Cubs in 2019, he had a home run per nine of 3.92. The only other time it was above one in his career was 2018 with the Red Sox, and it was 1.01. This was a drastic, uptick in the amount of home runs that he was giving up. In the 2020 spring training that we saw earlier this year in Arizona, he gave up two home runs in two and two-thirds innings. In the first scrimmage he pitches in this summer camp at Wrigley Field, gives up an opposite field home run to Wilson Contreras. Wilson's a great hitter, right? Like, no, no, no qualms anybody giving up a home run to Wilson Contreras. Just ask Clayton Kershaw in the playoffs, right? But then— in this next one, I I, I don't even know if Almora caught it because I, I think all of us were more focused on whether or not Albert was okay because he had just run into a brick wall. Uh, but whether it was caught or not, it was on the warning track, right? This is in dead center at Wrigley Fields. This is a 390 foot plus fly ball to Chris Bryant. Again, no shame in giving up that deep of a fly ball to Chris Bryant either, right? Very good hitter uh, as we've talked about. But so to, to Bring it all together. My concern is that he's giving up too many deep fly balls. He's giving up too many home runs. He's giving up too many deep fly balls. And in these outings, I think both of these outings, even though he's given up these home runs or deep fly balls, he's gotten some whiffs. He's gotten guys out. It's not like he's going out there and walking, you know, three guys and giving up a bunch of hits and then giving up a home run. He's been, you know, fine except for these home runs. But in a 60-game season, you don't have time for too many blown saves, right? Like, I haven't looked at all of this. I don't know what the number is, right? But you and I talked about this uh, separately. Like, I I can't help but think of that series with St. Louis at Wrigley Field that ends 2019. And if you have your closer in a 60-game season blow two or three whatever it is, games, at home against someone in your division. I'm not going to sit here and say that that kills the entire season, right? Because it's a couple games. I don't know how that all would play out. But I, you want to talk about a backbreaker, Brendan. Like, you just can't afford it. And I, I just don't have the confidence until we see otherwise. All he has done since he joined the Cubs is give up home runs. That That's, that's just the plain and simple kind of matter-of-fact way of looking at this. And I, I I, hear you. I hope that now having familiarity with the organization, being able to work with Tommy Hotovy, whose praises I was just singing five minutes ago, uh, being able to work on this stuff in the offseason, maybe working on that change up to the point that he's able to use it. I- I'm hopeful that you're right about that and that that's a a trend that goes the other way. Uh, But it's just hard for me not to look at this. Uh, He had never given up more than seven homers in his career. Uh, That was in 2018 with the Red Sox. Before that, the previous high was six. Uh, He gave up nine in 2019 with the Cubs in 20 innings. Like that's a lot of home runs. Then he comes back in this spring training, was giving up more home runs. They get to these scrimmages at Wrigley Field, more home runs. It's it's all like if he goes out and strikes out the side every time, but there's a home run mixed in there, right? Like it just doesn't work. So that's where my concern is. I'm not I'm not expecting him to be awful. I'm not expecting him to be uh, you know, the uh, unmitigated disaster, if you want to call it that, that, that he was in 2019. Uh, but I'm gen- like, I'm concerned about this. And and you can call me an alarmist if you want. It, this isn't my normal MO. I think you guys know that. Uh, but I'm just scared that he's giving up too many home runs. And in a 60 game season, you don't have time for that. And you would wonder too, like, you know, if, if he shows signs of that early on, that's a really tough spot for David Ross and and the the coaching staff in the front office to, how do you approach that? It's a very tough call to move away from giving the ball to a guy who's going to be a Hall of Fame closer uh, for anyone else in the bullpen that doesn't really have experience doing that. And so I'm I'm worried about this. I, I think that this is, if I had one singular worry uh, about this team, it's it's Craig Kimbrell and whether or not he's going to be, again, not effective, but effective to the level that the Cubs need him to be. And right now, if you told me to bet on it, I would bet that he's not. You can
2: be concerned, but to bet that he's not going to be effective, I, I, I can't— I said sh- effective I to share. the level
1: that they need him to be.
2: I get it. I, I get that. I, just, I don't think you can bet— on that likelihood that that's my point i'm not saying he's going to be just as effective as he was in 2018 that's not my point my point is what is contributing to the home runs and when we look at 2019 what contributed to the home runs were not extreme measures that are not fixable. That's a, that's a long way of saying that what contributed to the home runs are well within the possibility to adjust. And that is command. That is ramping up some of the adjustments that normally took a little bit longer for Kimbrough. I think those two particular areas are well within the reason to adjust because he's been with the Cubs for a year now. That like that. like That's my point. Kimbrell, he still was in the top 96th percentile of strikeouts last year in his sample size. Yes, the home runs were an issue, not disputing that. Yes, the walks were an issue, not disputing that. And I understand why you are not optimistic. I get that too. I'm not saying I'm optimistic. I'm more agnostic to it. I don't think that you can expect Kimbrel to be bad when last year, all of his raw StatCast metrics were within the range of his recent career norms. So there are other things contributing to the home runs. And what I think those things are can be addressed because those to me are things that are minor. If they were severe issues, then we would have seen that in the StatCast data. We did not see that. We saw the velocity be within career norms, we saw the release point within the career norms, and we saw the spin rate and the movement within career norms. If any of those three areas deviated from his norm, I would share your concern. But to take 20 innings, half of which came after or in the midst of an injury in a shortened season with an unfamiliar coaching staff, signals that we have to be a little bit more um, again, optimistic is not the right word, but I think we have to be a little agnostic to the possibility that he's going to be okay. I'm not saying day one, yeah, Campbell's going to be the closer shutdown 2018, just as he was in 2017, 2016. Not saying that, but I'm also not saying he's going to be the death of the Cubs bullpen. I do think we need to see what he looks like in a few outings. And I will say, like you, Corey, if he's not looking good within the first three, four, five outings, Sure. Then I will sound the alarm with you, and I will go to plan B. But until we get to that point, I don't think you can go sound the alarm at this point.
1: I want any anyone that's been listening to this show for like a long time, like I'm talking about years, like back to when it was a real amateur hour operation with Brendan and I. We still are. Like, you got to tell me if this is like soup as jarring to you as it is to me. Uh, that Brendan Miller is the beacon of optimism on this particular issue. This
2: is not optimism, Corey. This is not (laughs) optimism. I'm being like, do you get my point though? Yes, of course. It's just weird.
1: I mean, normally, like, I feel like we're reversing roles here. I I really do. I
2: mean, like, I will tell you when I'm Uh, optimistic about pictures.
1: I, I and these listeners have heard you worry and freak out about much smaller issues than what we're talking about right now. I'm just saying it's it's a it's a it's a bit of to use my favorite word, it's a bit of a juxtaposition of the of the normal. I mean world.
2: look look like look Corey, not to like go back the whole you darvish saga, but like we talked about you Darvish last year in May. Yeah. And we had a similar discussion and you said I can't count on you Darvish. I'm not saying, oh you know, ring the bell, I was right, but my point then was you Darvish in May in June, was showing signs of returning to his career norms and everything he showed when he was good. What happened, Corey? He was one of the best pitchers in the second half of last year. So I think there's a difference between being optimistic and then widening your range of expectations. And that's my point. My range of expectations are greater, they're not narrow in the negative fashion. And that's because. Of those stackcast centered metrics, I could be off. I could be optimistic to some. This is this may come off as optimistic, but I'm, that, that's my point. I have a greater range of expectations in the negative and positive directions. I will admit that.
1: Yeah, I look. I I, I hear you. I, again, like I'm not. I only said that if you if you asked me to make a bet at this moment, I wouldn't bet on anything. I mean, I really don't know. Um, and I I'm hopeful that what you are pointing to is what wins out. And as I've said 50 times on this podcast alone, like I don't like to pay attention to anything that happens in spring training or, or make conclusions about that. Uh, I, I just feel like he, his his being a top-level closer, back end of the bullpen, high leverage inning guy is so crucial to this team. And it's especially crucial when you have built a bullpen the way that they built a bullpen. And I, I liked that approach. I'm not backtracking on that. But when you don't have a bullpen that is made up, you know, this isn't like the Yankees bullpen, right? Like you don't have a bullpen that's made up of one all-star potential guy after the other that's just eating up high leverage innings year after year after year. You know, you've got some guys that you're asking to step up. You've got some guys you're asking to repeat seasons that, you know, is not something they've necessarily done yet. Uh, and it, it's, it's all... Much, much simpler if Craig Kimbrell is really good. And I think just to like your, your Darvish point, I I think that I think that's a really good point. Uh, and as with anything else, I'm always happy to eat crow uh when I'm wrong. We were, you know, wrong about Victor Caratini last year. We admitted that a million times. Uh yes we were. but you know, with Kimbrell in the situation that he's in, he just it's it's such a much smaller room for error like you is a starter he, he's being asked to he, he has so many pitches he has such a high level of intelligence and he's going out there and, and making a bunch of starts like he, you know he has more of an ability to make mistakes and work through things like Craig Kimbrell is going to be asked to come in and protect a bunch of one and two and three run leads and you're playing only your division basically for you know almost the entirety of this season except for when you're playing the AL Central so I, the 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 margin of error is just much smaller and and like i said like i i see it he's still getting those whiffs he still has that stuff but those home runs just sneak in there and that's how it was last year you know he wasn't a, a complete mess every time he took the mound for the cubs in 2019 he had that good stuff he had outings where it was like oh yeah here's craig kimberly he's coming in he's he's not throwing necessarily the gas that he's always throwing but he's still throwing gas right and then there would be those home runs, and I and it's just it. And maybe I'm just scarred from that end of the season series with I get the Cardinals. It. But yeah. I am just so scarred by how easily, like carp. Who is it? Carpenter and De Jong, I think hit a I, I, couple of those big ones. i out of my ones. memory
2: at this point. Yeah, and yeah. like
1: the you could just see like that they were going up there they knew exactly what was coming and they were just ready like it was the easiest thing in the world they were going to get this fastball and they were just going to dump it in the bleachers at Wrigley Field and I and I can't get over it and again it's it's all about the level to which they need him to be successful he could, he his his whiff rate, his K rate could be near career bets for all I care. But if he's still giving up those home runs and those deep fly balls, it, it's just going to be concerning to me until we see literally anything else from him in a Cubs uniform. You're you're totally right to point to all this stuff. He was in a very weird and strange setup last year coming in and asking. He was literally asked to come off of his couch, you know, staying as in shape as he could and be a Hall of Fame level closer in the middle of a division race. On a new team. That's a tough task. I, I totally admit that. But it, it just was so many home runs, Brenton. It's just, it's Dude, just he scary was <laughs> to me. I, I just, he was and, and injured, like, though. Also, I get it. Since you brought up you Darvish, it does kind of remind me of that period he had, I think, like just before he really turned it on in the second half where he was lights out. There was that period where he was kind of pitching like that, but he was getting tagged for like two or three home runs a game. You know what I'm yeah. talking about? And walking a ton of guys, yeah. Right. And so that's that's kind of the thing that I'm worried about. is is something similar yeah. to that where it's like you can clearly see, okay, this guy's got good stuff. Some of these guys have no clue how to deal with him like he's just, you know, blowing stuff by people. It's easy. But then there's that home run and it just for a while it felt like you just could not stop that from happening. Uh, trust and me, obviously you I did it. But yeah. I'm I'm concerned about it, as you guys can, can tell. I, I'm just concerned let me, about let me, it. I I, yeah. I,
2: I I understand your perspective. I'm not discounting your perspective. I I think a lot happened towards that end of the season that it clouded a lot of dysfunction around that team from July to September. There was so much dysfunction. But two particular things happened to Kimbrell. And I think it does add evidence to at least my point in expecting a wide range of possibilities. So Kimbrell, Right when he hurt his knee in August, Corey was averaging 97 miles per hour. That's that's within his range. Hurts his knee, has inflammation. What happens? Comes back. He's throwing 94, 95. Right? It gets ramped up. He's ramping back up all the way through the months. All of a sudden, he gets to the end of August. Corey's is averaging 98 miles per hour. 98, 97, 98. Boom. Elbow inflammation comes back, averaging 95. So two separate injuries, 20 innings, a new team, still going through the adjustments of a of a ramped up season. That, that that's my point. I think what we saw from Kimberl last year was too extreme to take anything out of it. So that 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 is where I come from. And now you can make the argument that okay, because you didn't see Kimberl last year, you haven't seen a normal Kimberl almost a year and a half. I get that too, and I am I share concerns with that. But I'm not going to use some of his performances last year to justify that this is the new norm. Because if this is the new norm, then we're going to see consistent injuries. We're going to see this weird ramp-up period. And we're going to see him not agreeing with coaches. Because if that's the case, if we're not going to see that familiarity, then the, what he's done with the coaches in the past year has not translated to possible success. That, like that. That's my point. Two injuries, more familiarity with the team, get more health with the guy. I think we can expect the scenario where he becomes Crick and brew again. Let's wait and see, but I get the concern.
1: All right. Well, that the battle lines have been drawn pretty clearly here. Uh, <laughs> we rarely have stuff like this that Brendan and I are on such clear sides of. So what I want all of you to do is is just remember uh, when the regular season starts next week, uh, if Kimbrel gives up home runs, uh, Brendan is at Cubs related on Twitter. <laughs> uh, you know, just if you have good gifts, oh, uh, you just want to say, hey, you were wrong, you idiot, Brendan, stuff like that. That's that's where you can direct it. If he's great, don't say anything to me. Uh, we'll all just be happy that he's great. And we can just, you know, go about enjoying the Cubs. I think that's completely fair. So anyway, moving on. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, like, look, obviously, I'm hopeful that he's really good again the the reason that I'm so concerned if he was like anybody else in the bullpen I wouldn't have even expressed this concern only reason I'm expressing this is because I I do think that the role that is needed of him for this to all work unless, you know, someone like Rowan Wick or, or one of the, you know, someone like uh, Jeremy Jeffress, one of these guys is like really, really, really That's ready possible to step too, by up. Way, it is, you know? but like you're talking about like really stepping up for, for one of these guys. I mean, being like literally the closer on the, like a lights out closer on the team. I just I think, think like it's the role that yeah. you need Kimbrel to play t- to like kind of not derail this, not be one of those major hurdles that this team has to get over. Uh, it, it's just, I'm I'm concerned, but we'll, we'll leave it at that. We'll keep monitoring it. Um, and we will go from there. I, I want to end uh, this. I, I don't know how often we do this, but I, you know, I think we'll start on a good note and end on a good note. Um, John Lester. I don't know if you guys have heard of yes. uh, this guy, a uh, lefty, pretty accomplished that the Cubs have in their rotation. Yep. Number 34, uh, for those of you looking at your scorebook. Uh, he pitched in his first scrimmage. He, he's been out there. I think he's done some bullpens. He's done some, some live hitting, but not in one of these uh, scrimmages. Uh, and he did get in there on Sunday, uh, two and a third, one hit that was an infield hit that, as described by the beat Beatwriters. Again, we can't watch these scrimmages. Uh, why that is, I, I don't know. If only there were... Anyway, you guys know where I'm going with that. I I don't have the answers to that, guys. I really don't. It makes no sense to me why, you know, the Dodgers are broadcasting their games. The Yankees are broadcasting their games. I think the White Sox had their game on uh, today, these practices. I think the Yankees are broadcasting everything on Yes Network. I think you can watch BP. I think you watch everything. Why we can't do that with the Cubs? I don't have the answer. It's obviously. I thought obviously, we were on a,
2: on a light note. This is getting sour, even more sour
1: than. The oh, sorry. Talk. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> we'll, well, we'll get there. I, I mean, it's going to end with Lester. So. Okay, okay. Yeah, but you're right. Uh, I just want everybody to know that, like, we're aware. That's very strange. It's very disappointing to us as well. But I don't have any more insight on it uh, than anyone else. So that's just what it is. Uh, but it was the the one hit that Lester gave up in this outing was described as an infield hit that he picked up from Nico Horner and he just decided not to do anything with. We've seen that before uh, and it always uh, makes me laugh, John. You know, if he doesn't feel like he's going to field it cleanly and make the throw, he's not going to do it. So uh, just ask the Dodgers uh, from the 2016 NLCS yes. whether or not that's something you can win a series off of or score runs off of him off of, because the answer is no. So, uh i continue to always be confused because even when like you know jordan bastion tweeted this or some of the other guys tweeted this you always get comments on john like about how he doesn't throw to first or oh my god he can't feel this position and who cares guys won three world series he was a cy young candidate for the cubs he i, I mean who cares that he can't do this it, it doesn't affect his pitching or his era or his effectiveness whatsoever like so who cares don't worry about it uh But no runs, no walks, and four strikeouts from your boy, John. So I just wanted to, our last topic of the day, I know we're running long, but whatever, baseball's coming back. We're in the middle of a quarantine, Brendan and I have nothing better to do. So I'm really encouraged by this. And I think I mentioned last time when we were talking about things, when we were talking about like the, you know... Quintana not being there Um, and just how like even though and John has admitted as much um, you know he's in a different place in his career obviously with his stuff and his age Uh, but one thing I pointed out when we were talking about the rotation is you know obviously you're looking for Hendricks and Darvish to be those top level guys the anchors the guys that are you know going to go out there on more often than not and you know quite literally win you the game. But one point that I made was that I genuinely believe Lester has so much more of an ability to do that, and Quintana doesn't really. Uh, which is why Brendan and I were not super, con- you know, super concerned uh, about that that injury and and that loss. Um, and I I really really believe, and this is something we'll have to see. Uh, but I. I I really think that this shortened season is going to allow John to let things loose, uh, and not worry so much about that durability. And I think that when you're at where he is in his career and the stuff that he has, I, I think that's what really hurts him is, is needing to be able to pitch every fifth day from April to November and keep things at that same level of effectiveness. And, you know, that's just hard as guys get older and their stuff diminishes. There's no there's no way of, of sugarcoating that, right? And, and again, John has said as much. He talked earlier uh, before they arrived at summer camp about how he was going to be mindful of when he was pitching and all that because he doesn't want to waste the bullets that he has left. Those are his words. Um, but I think in, you know, if you're only looking at however many starts this is over the course of 60 games, I really think he's going to be able to let it loose uh, and dial up his, you know, fastball a little bit more. And we know that he is the type of guy that is going to make things work with the stuff that he has. Um, he's obviously had his share of those, you know, just awful starts, right? Just throw him in the trash starts. But this is a guy who you know, like, no matter what his stuff is, he's going to be able to... Visualize and go through the mental work of how do I get guys out with this stuff, whether it's changing eye levels, changing speeds, whatever he has to do, he's the type of guy that's going to figure that out. And I think that in this shortened season, I I think he's going to be really good. I think, obviously, I'm going to say that no one is sitting here taking my predictions on John Lester seriously uh, because obviously I'm gonna think he's gonna be really good, but but like genuinely, like on a baseball level, I really think he's gonna be good in this season. He he's not going to be asked to get near two hundred innings, right? On his arm and then potentially pitch in the playoffs. Like he's just going out there, let it go, give it your best stuff for these couple months that this season is going. And I, I think he's definitely, definitely capable of
2: Yeah, I mean, we if we look at how Lester started 2019, he did so on fire. There was a point in which the season came and he was what, like, I think top three, top four in the ERA leaderboard. Then the second half came, he dealt with some fatigue issues and some of the numbers went down and that was partially because his walk rate went up. So his walk rate in the first half of last year was 22 in the second half, it was 3.4. And again, a lot of Lester's success came in those first two months. So it's a little bit more skewed towards those first two months. The overall season for Lester last year, he was a league average pitcher, Corey. I mean, like, if anything, despite having worse stuff, he had a K per nine of 8.7. 8.7. That was better than 2018. And that was really on par with what we saw in 2016. He had an 8.8 K per nine in 2016. So... I feel like Lester, like you, he has the ability to adjust because, unlike Quintana, he has five pitches. He has a cutter. He has a curveball. He has a changeup. He has a two seamer. He has a four seamer. So Q was a sinker, four seamer, curveball guy. It's a little bit of a different scenario, and Lester has better command than Q, and he has just more experience. I mean, the guy's pitched in game sevens. He's thrown no hitters. He's one World Series. He's been in two big markets. He's John Lester. He's a legend. So. I don't see anything really other than age telling me that he's not going to be good. Now, we'll see what happens in the first game, in the first few games, but if there's no age-related effects on Lester this year, what I mean by that is unless the velocity is around 86, 87, I don't think that you can expect doom and gloom for John Lester. And he's your third or fourth starter. We'll see what the other guys end up being, but... This rotation is you Darvishes. It is Kyle Hendricks and John Lester is probably the third or fourth starter in a shortened season where he may only be asked to go five innings, six innings. He's John Lester, dude. Like, he could be in a worse situation than John Lester.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's a, a very good spot for this team to be, right? You're not asking him to be the ace of this rotation. You're not asking him to be the lone Cy Young candidate. Uh, for this team. You're, you're asking him to come in after you and Hendricks and, and be that guy. And like you said, in a shortened season, I definitely think he's going to be that, uh, if not better than that. And again, like I said, I mean, obviously, you guys expect me to say that. But I, I think that um I think he's going to be really good. You know, what exactly that that means? I you know, I don't know. Uh, But I think he's going to be very effective for this team. And I think that, you know, whether it's 8, 9, 10, 11 starts, whatever that number ends up exactly being, I, I think he's going to give this team a chance to win on most of those occasions. I, I, I really do. Uh, and not just because he was good in this first scrimmage, um, you know, but I think that is just a good look at, like, you know, he he came back, he, he hopped in there in his first time facing live hitters, and the stuff was good. He was ready to go. He was ready to compete against these guys, and even though we've, you know, I think kind of across the board, uh, as you would expect, the pitching is going to be ahead of the hitting here uh, in such a strange situation like this. Um, but I think it it just reiterates, like, I think this is a good setup for him. Uh, I, I think that he's going to be really good, and I think he's going to be a, a very significant contributor to that Cubs rotation. So uh, that is what I have to say on that. And I think that's really all we have. Uh, there wasn't that much uh, in terms of, like, specific news. I mean, we continue to hear stuff from David Ross that I think lines up with a lot of what we expected um, you know just how important Victor Caratini is going to be. That he's someone who's going to get those opportunities. Uh, he's still going to catch Udarvich, which was something that you know I don't I don't think is a surprise because that was reiterated uh, earlier on Monday morning. And he's going to be someone who's in that mix to DH, maybe take some time at first base, etc. Um, and that he's going to be able to get some of that time. More talk from, you know, someone like Kyle Schwarber about how he's going to DH a little bit, but that's not going to be his exclusive role, and, and, you know, that he's obviously going to be someone looked to to be a significant contributor. Uh, So other than that, you know, I think that that's kind of where we are. We're still not really at the point where I think you can read too much into certain things. Uh, We'll kind of have to see how things play out, but, you know, you still have the team's divided into two different lineups. So, you know, Chris Bryant is in one, leading off in one, and then Albert Almora is leading off in another. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's a little difficult to exactly get a read like, okay, this guy's got the jump on, you know, the center field job, or this is how David Ross is going to do this against righties or lefties or whatever, because it's, you know, I think it's just too disjointed at this point. Um, but for the most part, I think a lot of what Ross is saying and doing kind of lines up with what uh, you or anyone else would have expected from a lot of these things. One thing I would note, I think it was Mark Gonzalez uh, of the Chicago Tribune who pointed this out. Um, but hearing a lot that Jason Kipnis looks good, just it looks to be in really good shape, moving well in the field, moving well along the bases. Uh, I know that when the regular spring training was going on, it it definitely kind of seemed like he was going to get that job, or at least get that first crack at that job, you know, maybe with David Bodie, uh, maybe Ian Happ at times, maybe Daniel Descalso, if they're intent on keeping him on the roster, would, you know, mix in there. But it certainly seemed to be leading towards Kipnis getting that shot, um, and, That certainly sort of still seems to be the case and was just good uh, to hear, you know, multiple people kind of praising the shape that he was in. And, you know, that I think even Gonzalez was saying it it appeared that he had come back in better shape than even he was back in March, you know, that he really used that time in in the shutdown to stay in shape and, you know, really make sure that he's ready for this. Um, So that's kind of where things are at. Uh, We will jump back on with you soon. And I mean, we're not uh, too long away. We, we got to, you know, do like a whole prediction episode, like, you know, a whole like the Let's season just get is there. starting. Just got to get there. Yeah, this is uh, what's happening. So it's close. So, uh, you know, as I've said before, and as I would have said in the regular spring training, you know, you've got about a week and a half uh, before we are watching regular season Cubs games that count significantly more than they would in a normal regular season. Uh, so if you think Brendan and I are psychotic before, boy, are you oh, yeah. in for uh <laughs> something when the games are about <laughs> three times as meaningful. Oh, I can't wait. Uh, yeah, should be interesting. So that's where we're at. Uh as always, you know, we'll we'll keep an eye on things. Uh you know, the the testing situation with Uh, the coronavirus and stuff is is still, you know, a work in progress and something that, you know, the players and and staff and everybody has to commit to on a daily basis. So that's obviously something to keep an eye on. Uh, And we will be back with you soon to kind of break down what else we have seen at summer camp and these scrimmages and anything else. Uh, As always, thank you guys for listening. Hope you are still hanging in there throughout all of this, that you and your family are, are safe and healthy, um, and that you know, you're know you doing okay through about all of this. And we are on the cusp of regular season Chicago Cubs baseball. And as always, Brendan and I will be here to break it down for you. We thank you guys for listening. We thank you guys for your support and your interaction with this podcast uh, on social media and stuff. And we will talk to you guys again soon. As always, go Cubs!